Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chats Over Chai, the Australia India Institute's podcast series. Today, I'd like to acknowledge the lands of the Wurundjeri people who have been custodians of this land on which we meet for thousands of years and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today, I'm joined with culinary sensation and grand finalist of season 13 of MasterChef Australia, Kishwa Chowdhury. Born and raised in Melbourne, with origins from India and Bangladesh, Kishwa completed a Bachelor of Commerce from Monash University before completing a postgraduate degree in graphic design from the University of the Arts in London. Kishwa returned to Melbourne in 2015 following a stint in Germany and then six years establishing an international printing business in Bangladesh. In 2021, Kishwa reached the grand finale on MasterChef Australia, sharing her love of Bengali cuisine and with Australia. And since then, Kishwa has been involved with the UN World Food Programme and Asylum Seeker Resource Centre's Feast for Freedom, and was most recently an ambassador of the ICC T20 Men's World Cup, a role which brings communities together over a shared passion of the game of cricket. I first met Kishwa during the Institute's gala dinner at the NGV here in Melbourne to celebrate 75 years of India's independence and then again at this year's Diwali celebrations at a Global Victoria South Asia friendship dinner. Kishwa has an incredible talent of sharing stories of food and culture to bring understanding and connection between Australia and India and I'm so excited to be joined with her today. Welcome Kishwa. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's so lovely to be here. And thanks for that really lovely introduction. <laughs> Look, you've become known and celebrated for creating a culinary bridge between Australia and South Asia. Can you tell me a little bit more about the significance of what it means to you to build the bridge of, of that gap? Yeah, I think um, the significance of bridging that gap um, really is about being uh, seen and sharing our stories and sharing our food. Um, I sort of found myself in this role over the last couple of years and um, I wasn't expecting, um, I really wasn't expecting the impact of what I was doing in MasterChef to turn out to um, uh, sort of like catapult into what I'm doing now. Um, it's been fantastic and I think the, sig the significance to me is um, to be comfortable as a South Asian Australian, um, not just to be proud of our heritage and our dual identities, um, but to take ownership um, and feel comfort in having that dual identity. Well, I think perhaps one member of your family who must be very proud is your son, because I understand it was, it was your son who encouraged you to go on MasterChef, and it's not something you had considered yourself doing. So can you tell us a bit about how you, you came to that decision? How I got to MasterChef. <laughs> um, I think um, a big part of it was 2020 um, and the lockdown. It was really about um, the world changing around us. Um, and I was living out on um, 
my parents' farm in Nanagoon. We have a cattle farm up there. And um, and we're just going back to the things that I really loved doing that I didn't have the time to do before. Um, and I was cooking a lot with my son and just making things from scratch. And it was really about getting in touch with the land again and the produce and the people in our area um, and the farmers and the growers. And Pakenham has just such incredible produce. And my son was, we were watching MasterChef Junior and my son um really loves cooking and he was applying for that and he said mom you should really fill in an application form and I didn't really think much of it but he was he was the one that really pushed that and uh, opened up the application and you know held up the little phone camera and forced me to make a video or he sort of just came and made a little video of me picking oranges off a tree and I didn't really think much of it at the time, but um, yeah, it turned into what it did. The rest is history. The rest is history, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Well, look, I understand you use a lot of local produce uh, from Victoria um, to create, obviously, South Asian flavours. And you've demonstrated through that how two nations complement one another, uh, both, you know, Australia and India, for example, through this idea of sharing a meal. How do do you see that sort of, you know, now in 2022 here in Australia compared to perhaps growing up in Australia? You know, have you seen that change over time in terms of produce, in terms of accessibility of produce? And how do you choose those sorts of suppliers for that? Yeah, I think um, um, the culinary world, like any art or any sort of um, industry grows and changes. And what we're seeing is a huge trend um, or a movement towards looking into our past. Um, And a big part of that is looking at not just dishes or um, what was cooked in the past, but really going back to our roots in terms of how we used to eat. Um, And a lot of that is about going back to an organic way of living, farm to fork, and eating nose to tail. And I think um, in South Asia and a a lot of cultures around the world, we do have um, a lot of elements that uh, Michelin star chefs around the world um, are shedding a light on now. Um, It's not about wastage. It's really about... Um, celebrating produce and now produce is becoming the hero Um, and I think there was a huge movement in the 90s of being excessive and very lavish um, and probably using like a lobster medallion and throwing away the whole lobster but now when we think about um, food trends and what's important we think about what's local and looking at um, local growers, local farmers, what we have within our regions and highlighting that and that's what makes interesting and um, incredible dishes. Absolutely and you certainly produce a number of those (laughs) that I've had the pleasure of experiencing. Um, Look you are very much celebrated as a South Asian woman who is a pioneer in your field especially in a pretty much still male dominated area. Why do you think we do need more South Asian female chefs here in Australia? Um, I think I think what happens when you don't have um, a huge part of the population, well, 50% of the population in any field, in any industry, is you miss out on that perspective. You miss out on that voices. I think um, not just uh, South Asian voices or not just female voices. Um, it really stretches the field and you really get... Um, you really get to see 
different perspectives and a different way of doing things. My approach to um, when I'm a head chef and when I'm working in um, on a particular project is very different to the voices and the plates or the way of thinking of a male counterpart or a non-South Asian counterpart or someone even from a different region in South Asia. So that variety is what makes up Melbourne, I would say. That variety is what makes up the food tapestry of Australia. Um, and we're seeing that more. We want to see those voices that, are, um, that we don't see. Um, and we want to eat those dishes and travel to those places through food that we don't otherwise get to travel to. So I think it's really important um, to really encourage um, voices from all parts of um, the community, and especially women, to come through and share their stories through food. Well, I think you're right in terms of Melbourne perhaps being the, some may say, the culinary capital of Australia. Absolutely. And I think having having you as a, uh, a woman of South Asian heritage contributing to that space is, is, all, is adding to that. Now, I wanted to pick up on what you said then about, you know, being a head chef because I understand you've just returned from India. Yep. And it was quite a tour uh, in terms of, you being a head chef uh, in a in a country with a lot of people, where the kitchen sizes are a little bit a little bit larger, and to, <laughs> and and obviously the um, the number of people you were you were hosting and and providing your your meals for were, were in a large number as well. So what was it like in, in India in terms of being a head chef? Um, India is just a massive ball game. It was. It was exciting and interesting and it was like being hit by a tidal wave um, and <laughs> learning to sort of ride that wave rather than be drowned by it. Um, it's just such an incredible experience and India in a lot of ways um, is the kitchens can be very different to the kitchens in Australia where, um, where we have an access to a lot of labour in India because of, like you were saying, the sheer number of people. Um, uh, one of my events was at the JW Marriott in Bengaluru um, and we had a hundred people just there under me. We had the incredible team of chefs of the JW Marriott, but then um, just, it was like, it was like having a whole army there to execute these uh, gala dinners. Um, and to be at the head of that and the top of all of that was not only a huge responsibility, but almost like a, a sort of like another machine that, um, and you're conducting this huge orchestra to make these gala dinners um, come off seam seamlessly. So it was a massive experience. A huge uh, leadership experience too, It right? was an incredible leadership experience. And I've I've had that leadership experience, obviously going into this before, but India is another scale. India is just on... Um, it's another scale and it all works. And I think some advice that I got from um, the GM, we sat down and I was just like, there are a lot of moving parts. And um, I think here in Australia, we're used to have having things very structured um, and organized and set in stone weeks, if not months beforehand. Um, and he said to me, look, Kishwa, this is India. It's going to happen. Um, trust me, it's going to happen. It might not feel like a right now. Don't worry. Um, and obviously I was worried because it's such a huge, it's a huge responsibility. Um, and um, so what I found with these massive gala dinners was everything happens. People 
fall into place and there, there is a system and although it's different from what we expect and see in Australia and how it works here, it is just this, um, it's, it, it, it's just this beautiful harmonious way of falling into um, place and line and executing things that you wouldn't think were possible. So I just, I have so much, I have tremendous respect um, for the chefs in India and how it all comes together. And I was just amazed by my experience there. And of course, you would have been working with so many Indian chefs, right? Yeah. So they would be looking up to you as a South Asian woman, um, you know, connecting with you, yeah. but also in terms of the food that you were you were cooking. Uh, I think it's quite interesting because you know, I mean, for me, India, all, all of your senses are alive. And, yep. <laughs> um, you know, the, so many experiences you, you're having in one day. But I think for you, as a, as, a, as a head chef in that environment, what was it like to sort of, you know, share your, your cuisine, but also sort of marry that up with the, the cultural understanding that you already have yeah. um, with, with India uh, but also how you then you know share that with a broader audience yeah and and sort of encourage people to see India as a contemporary country that it is today not just sort of carrying the traditions of the past yeah I think um, going into it there was uh, the project or the brief that we had was for the AIBX gala dinners um, there were two gala dinners one was in Delhi at the Australian High Commission and the second was in Bengaluru at the JW Marriott. So the project itself was to bring Australian uh, premium produce like Western Australian rock lobster, finger lime caviar um, and truffles, our South Gippsland truffles to the Indian market. Um, so there were a lot of ingredients that were fairly new for the chefs in India and I was taking ingredients that they, that they had never worked with before and to highlight that with uh, South Asian, I guess, heritage are more familiar dishes. So there is already that cuisine that's um, a very new sort of cuisine, I would say. Um, I, I found that when when we got there on ground, it was to be very open to the process and I was extremely uh, amazed by how dynamic the teams were. When we think about India, we think about tradition and heritage um, and how they've got thousands of years of heritage and how steeped in history um, India is. Delhi and Bangalore both have very strong food identities as well. Um, but to meet these young dynamic chefs, uh, in Delhi I had a team that were one of the largest cloud kitchens and they had just um, sort of grown especially over the last two years of lockdown and just uh, they had over 200 pastry chefs in just one of their dark kitchens supplying um, all over North India. Um, so just seeing these young teams in food and then the chefs at JW Marriott as well, how open um, and eager they were to take on something that was unfamiliar. They had the skill set to take that on. This is not easy. The country was ready and the, the food industry is already ready skilled um, and operating at a global global level, competing at that global level. So it wasn't, it was honestly a cultural exchange through the kitchens and the food both ways. And I was most amazed by the food innovation 
in the logistics as well, um, there was a particular dish called jalpath, which is almost like uh, a Bengali congee. And we wanted to feature the South Gippsland truffles to sort of bring out the truffles and marry that with uh, nigella seeds and mushrooms. Um, and, well, and we were having these discussions about these dishes, and this is sort of weeks before we ever present. Um, and there was this incredible um, farm where there were the micro farmers growing um mushrooms but like pink uh, elephant ear mushrooms and trumpet mushrooms and I was just so amazed that here we are in Bangalore um, and there are some young innovative teams who are micro farming mushrooms so and just even um, things like micro herbs and the uh, Devon Halley pomelos that we've got to feature on the menu so what it became was much larger than the project we had at hand of just showcasing Australian produce. It became a marrying of Australian produce, the best of Australian produce, with um, amazing Indian produce and marrying that on a plate. So this is, I think, one of those dream projects that you don't ever think um, are going to happen. But by being open and working with the chefs that I had available to me, I learned so much and we were able to produce just incredible plates of food because it was that cultural exchange from both sides. Oh, that's just wonderful. And I'm sure they learned so much from you as well. But I think what you just shared with me is that entrepreneurial spirit of, of India or, and particularly young yeah. Indians that I've also got to experience all sorts of startups uh, particularly in Bengaluru, um, but, you know, playing out in, in, in through food. Yeah. Kishwar, I know that you've been um, quite passionate uh, in, the, in the sort of policy space of food security. And, you know, you, you're obviously an ambassador of um, the UN World Food Programme. You've also done work with, with Asylum uh, Seekers Resource Centre. I wanted to ask you what you sort of learnt from that work and, and what you see as some of the challenges when we talk about food security. I think the may, my what led me to that work, first of all, is um, I was, I'm always in spaces of privilege, I would say, creating a lot of fine dining menus and these degustations and working and collaborating with some of the best restaurants that we have here in Melbourne and overseas as well. Um, and food, as much as it is a celebration, um, there is also that other side of food where um, it's a necessity. It's a basic human right. It's a basic need. Um, and with food, uh, something that's very tied, uh, something that's tied very close to that is dignity. Um, and what the AS ASRC does here in Victoria is. Um, with the ASRC Food Bank and even catering is not just providing food, but providing a sense of dignity. And I think that um, right now we're all feeling the crunch of how much the world has changed. Produce, uh, even with weather conditions, I find even for the menus that I create, um, the impact on farmers, the impact on produce, what uh, flooding and droughts mean here in Australia. Um, and then you... Just imagine the, I guess, the not so privilege, um, wanting to just put those meals on their plate, but retain that sense of dignity. So I think it was very important while I get to um, create these fine dining menus and work in these incredible spaces um, 
was to give back and look at the other side of what happens in food with the UN World Food Program. A lot of that work is in Bangladesh. And we look at the Rohingya camps and the food systems around there. But the empowerment that food also provides for women, I would say. I think it's women coming in through food logistics channel channels um, and what it means to be able to create a sense of identity but also become part of that logistics channel because, uh, I mean, it's it's very obvious around the world and the it's sort of creating resilience in a way isn't creating it? resilience and I think the idea of providing uh, meals on the putting meals on the table that responsibility very often falls on women's shoulders and so to take what you're doing for free and that idea of free labor and turning that around to create a sense of identity but a second source of income as well is very important and I'm very passionate about um, sort of giving my, being a part of creating channels where women can empower themselves through food. It's wonderful. Look, I, I think on that, we're obviously talking a bit about human rights here in, in that sense. Um, you know, this notion that, that food can sort of break down barriers, um, you know, particularly when we're talking about uh, all sorts of different cultural styles of cuisine like South Asian flavours. Yep. Uh, here we are in, obviously, a multicultural country. We've got a, you know, a growing South Asian diaspora. How do you see that food can actually address some of the, the challenges um, of, of, of discrimination that um, people of South Asian heritage may face? Yeah, I think um, we've, we've come a long way um, since, at least when I was growing up, I think there was a sense of um, slight, uh, feeling slightly embarrassed, but also feeling quite shy about taking something that um, my mum's cooked in our lunchbox. We have so many conversations about, and now I think, especially that generation of us uh, third culture children who are in our maybe 30s and 40s uh, can talk about our childhood in the 80s and 90s um, and how... Fitting in meant taking a Vegemite sandwich to school. Uh, I love Vegemite sandwiches and I took them voluntarily. <laughs> oh, no, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my daughter as well now. But, I mean, um, if you can take a Vegemite sandwich to school, it, it should also be um, – you should also feel uh, just as comfortable taking a samosa to school. Um, and I think I see that through my children now. They don't have those barriers. They feel quite um, – because of what we went through, I think breaking down those uh, food and sharing food, um, it's it's given the next generation that little confidence or that step up. Um, and more importantly, that understanding when when we were growing up, there was only a few uh, few different uh, I think communities and cultures that we really knew through their food. And as um, as migration grows from the South Asian diaspora, we start recognizing regionality. Um, I think the very, very first conversation I had in MasterChef was no one really knew Bangladesh, where Bangladesh was on the map until the cricket team started doing a bit well. <laughs> so I think uh, things like cricket and food are ways to sort of um, 
bridge that gap and have that conversation. And I think food also allows to have difficult conversations um, where it's it's an easy way to share yourself or share your point of view and share your identity with ha- without having to say anything at all. Mm, it's almost a universal language, isn't yeah. it, through our, through our appetite yeah. and, and our palate. But I think what you've just shared there is is you know, pretty much how Australian society has changed over time. Yeah. I mean, I, I was born in the year, I think, that um, the White Australia policy was ending. And, um, you know, so my father was a migrant here, still um, un- living here under that policy. So much has changed over all of those decades mm. to where we are today. And I think, as you say, our our children thankfully don't sort of share those sorts of um, shyness or um, those feelings that that we did when we were at school. So we have had this huge change, but of course change doesn't just happen. Um, We need leaders to to play a role um, as part of that and and that's where you come in, Kishwar. Um, You've you've seriously been such an iconic um, identity um, in recent times here in Australia, uh, through through what you've shared on on television, but also more broadly through through your community work, and now bridging that in terms of your connection between Australia and India um, is just you know so valuable to building the Australia India relationship, which of course is something we continually promote and enhance at the Australia India Institute. I was so pleased to share Diwali with you um, this year um, and learn from you about Diwali. Um, can you share with me how how you, you know, usually when you're not in a kitchen <laughs> <laughs> cooking for many of us, h- how you would share your Diwali with your family? Um, I think Diwali for me is really about the sweets. Um, it's the laddus. The laddus. Um, and what I love about um, our cultural celebrations is the little conveyor belt of um, family that gathers around and it's cross-generational where we'll have our grandparents, aunties, um, but now my children as well, and we'll be making those laddus and we'll be sitting around the table. So my favourite thing about... Um, Diwali and other festivals is that sort of that conveyor belt of churning out the food um, and how we eat around that time. But also just the the food that we eat um, at particular festivals and we might not cook at home all throughout the year. Um, yeah, and just I think it's that time of year as well where you know, we put on our um, salwar kameezes or saris and just meeting everyone around family. Um, and I, I love it. I think it's just that very festive time of year that we all share and we look forward to it. Um, we, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so full of colour and light and, yeah, it, it, it is. It's so enjoyable. As, as is Holly, of course, yep. which we'll have to look forward to. In a couple of months. In a few months. Yep. That's exactly right. Kishwa, this has been such a delight to listen to you today and to hear about your journey as a, a woman of South Asian heritage, a leader in our community here in Australia, who is bringing uh, so much life uh, to you know, multicultural Australia through your beautiful um, cuisine 
uh, and through cooking and sharing that joy uh, of of what that means to building uh, a more understanding um, multicultural Australia. So thank you so much and um, looking forward to experiencing some of your nice cuisine in the future. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's always a pleasure. You have been listening to Chats Over Chai at the Australia India Institute. And to find out more about the Institute's work, please visit our website. Thank you.